0: Welcome to episode 187 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Ray Jackson.
1: And I'm Brian Lovin. Today we caught up with Ryan Hassan. He's a designer at Dropbox, previously working on paper. He's done a whole bunch of Dropbox things. Before we get into that, a couple updates.
0: We have a new show on the network, Swift Unwrapped, brought to you by Jesse Squires and J.P. Simard. It's about Swift's open source updates. Uh, Jesse... Is someone I've known for quite a while and he does incredible work in the Swift community. He does this uh, blog called Swift Weekly and it's incredible. Uh, JP works at Realm and is doing awesome things on the open source side of Swift. So this is a really exciting show. We're really excited to introduce it to the network and they're doing incredible work. So
1: you can check that out on spec.fm. That's our network of podcasts for designers and developers. And just a second quick update on Spectrum. We are inching towards beta we're inches away from beta we are inches away from beta we are so close we're not inching we're moving very fast moving very fast we built this thing in a month dude breaking lots of things (laughs) uh if you've been following along we're trying to build a place for designers and developers to uh, hang out and talk and learn from one another as a replacement for our slack team which is about to hit its capacity
0: uh we can't upload things anymore i keep trying to share screenshots and i got nothing
1: it's breaking so time is of the essence you can follow along for now in our slack team at spec.fm slash slack and join the spectrum channel where we're sharing screenshots and videos and such Uh, otherwise we hope to get that initial version wrapped up soon and sent out to folks that are in the the slack team as beta users
0: i'm looking at it right now it doesn't suck
1: again it's it's usable i used it for my phone today that was crazy Wow. Wow. Again, that's at spec.fm slash Slack. And with
0: that, let's get to episode 187 with Ryan Hassan.
2: Hello, I'm Ryan. I design software um, at Dropbox. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like largely focused on kind of collaborative tools for teams. What are you working on right now? Uh, right now, um, I'm just joining like a new team that's working on this kind of internal external sharing flow. hmm um, it's still pretty early, but um, I'm actually splitting my time into like 50% you know, product execution work and um, the other side being more oriented towards like long-term research. But even earlier, where are you from? Um, so I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom was a professor um, in mechanical engineering. And so I th- think I kind of always grew up with this like idea that like, I wanted to go into engineering of some sort. Um, I remember, like, really vividly early on, like, my my parents would leave, like, electronics, like, in a bucket, and I would, like, kind of cobble things together, and it would be, like, a servo and some batteries and maybe, like, a microcontroller. <laughs> Just, and, you
0: know, regular things, a bucket of servos. Yeah, you know.
2: <laughs> no, I mean, like, I, th- I think, like, I, like, worked up to it, right? Okay. Um, but I think from, like, early on, they, like, pushed me to kind of play with things and Mm -hmm. kind of try to build things on my own. Um, I remember they had this kind of philosophy that in hindsight sounds a little dark, but like they were (laughs) very against like giving me toys and they were much more interested in like giving me things to like build things with. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that sort of, you know, like I think I was always like very focused on STEM. Um, And Uh so, um, you know, and I was also like building All sorts of like programs for for myself, like you know, web-based stuff. I remember like the the big draw for me was actually like calculators, Hmm. like TI eighty four calculator programming, which you know I think is actually more um, sophisticated than most most people would like believe. Like it's very like you can go. um, I played Mortal Kombat on one. No, we (laughs) did. Yeah, but like it's really interesting to like write software for that context Uh because it's so limited. Like Mm -hmm. you have. It's, like, so slow. It's this, like, system from, like, the 80s that just hasn't been updated in, like, 20 years. Um, and so you have to, like, work within those constraints and really optimize for, like, that yeah. specific device. What did you make? Um, I mean, so I tried, you know, making, like, games and, like, little, like, physics demos and that sort of thing. Um, I remember, I think I actually got into a little bit of trouble for, um, I would write programs to, like, solve my math homework, and so,
1: <laughs> but like this, like specifically. Like, Wait, isn't that what a calculator does, though?
2: Yeah, but the the problem is, so like if you look at a lot of high school math problems, a lot of it is oftentimes um, like the same problem, like restructured in slightly different ways, and kind of repeated over, you know, thirty, forty problems, and the goal is to kind of get you to practice over and over again. Um, and you quickly realize that if you can kind of solve the general problem, um, so for example, if it's like a trig problem, if you can just write a program that takes in like, oh, uh, what what information do you have? And then I'll generate all the other kind of possible information that you might need. Uh-huh. Like then you can kind of really quickly kind of solve all of them. And br- th- this was actually problematic because it meant, that like for like a one week period, you form a really strong understanding of the problem. But then after that, you have no practice in it. Um, And so you're really bad actually at
0: solving the problem. Well, Wait, this is what like programming is, right? Like this is what we're supposed to do with computers. It's like abstraction. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: Doesn't that say a lot about the way we teach people math? Totally. Yeah. It's super
2: strange. Actually. So um, I remember taking math classes in college and realizing that, the way that math was taught there was just completely different from the way math was taught in high school. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I think I remember the first class that I took at CMU, I forget what it was called, but it was like focused on, you know, like, these are like, like, this is your field of numbers. And like, these are the fundamental kind of properties of like math that from which like everything will build on. And like learn like the ways of like reasoning through to kind of take this axiomatic worldview and build out like um, as much of like the rules around math as you can. Uh-huh. And that's just like a fundamentally like different approach to like thinking about what math is. Then I wrote some of those words.
1: Rote memorization, yeah,
2: yeah, versus rote memorization. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like, w- why are numbers from like? Like why do we have like a base ten system? Why are numbers? Like why can't the field <laughs> of numbers be like zero, one, and two? And like addition, why multiplication, not? subtraction all work within like zero, one
1: and two. Why not? Well that's what computers kind of do. <laughs> well, Ma- close. Well, math lesson. Yeah. <laughs> We're jumping a little bit ahead. So you're 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 tinkering and programming your calculator and you got in trouble because you cheated in math class, essentially. I think cheated is a strong word. <laughs> okay. Well You solved math class, not just math. You loopholed your math class. Yeah. I was also
2: doing, like, math competitions, which, again,
1: very impressive. (laughs) now you're cheating. (laughs) No, but the... And I won (laughs) all of them with my special (laughs) TI-84. Well,
2: so, okay, like, I'm just going to nerd out now. Like, I would bring two calculators to math competitions. One was a cheat one. The decoy and the... Yeah, yeah. so, like, like, imagine you have, you know, 50 problems to go through... You can definitely solve some of them on your own, but okay. if you kind of generally guess that like a good percentage of them are going to be integer solutions, and here they don't care at all about you know how you got there, um, you can generally write a program pretty quickly to kind of just go through the numbers like let's go through zero through one thousand and just check and see if any of these numbers work as solutions for any of these problems, and then have that calculator run on like on like one side of the table, and then start tackling the problems on your with your other calculator. And then if you, if the calculator beats you, then great. Like you can move on to the next one and not worry about it. But if, if it's not within the range of like zero to a thousand, like then, you know, I can continue to try to solve it on my own. And I also know a little bit more about the solution.
0: Is this like math competition doping? Like yeah. <laughs> performance <laughs> enhancing drug for per- Performance
1: enhancing calculators. Uh, yeah. <laughs> How many gold medals did you win? all of them every single <laughs> one <laughs> yeah we're gonna have to email the organizers yeah and so but I, math crimes <laughs> there's like a yeah god how's, how's your conscience <laughs> god. is it clear do you feel guilty for all the other math losers that you
2: well but destroy, <laughs>
0: it's not other math and losers out of a, ma- a medal. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> So, all right, so you went to Carnegie <laughs> Mellon after winning with Math Crimes. Um, yeah, and so
2: I was, like, I think I had been writing software just, like, in one form or another <laughs> for a while, um, and I was, like, just really curious about, like, software engineering, and that was, like, something that... Beyond calculators, though. Beyond calculators, like, cool. for, like the for-real programming. And at the at that time, I think I was thinking of it as, like, Oh, like, there's all these languages that I don't know, all these, like, different technologies that I want to learn about. Um, and then, you know, the first day of class, you, they, they kind of, like, hit you with, like, oh, it's like, there's, like, all this, like, fundamental, like, theory and math. Mm-hmm. And, um, we actually probably don't, we're, we're actually probably not going to talk to you about all of the applied stuff, at least early on. Um, just because these are the things that, probably will kind of fade out of relevance in, you know, four or five years. Uh-huh. Uh, but
1: hopefully... They aren't teaching React 101 in freshman CS courses. Yeah. <laughs>
0: well, Especially not like five or six years ago. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. too. Well,
2: so I remember um, there was another program on campus called like the Information Systems Program. And that was a program that was much less... You had a lot of freedom with kind of like what coursework you wanted to take. Um, and, but the a lot of the technical courses were actually focused on like Ruby on Rails, for example. Um, and so you would have class projects that were kind of oriented around the specifics of like kind of what does this file do or like how do I, you know, um, basically like get like a working like site up. Mm-hmm. And like those are skills that like, you know, I never learned like through like coursework. But in hindsight, I'm actually like, I feel like, like those skills weren't like as relevant like, like to my work like now. Um, just because like that particular technology, like kind of fades out over time and gets replaced by, you know, something new.
1: So it was better to have learned than the theory of software engineering. Or that's how I justify it to myself. (laughs) It's your way of rationalizing your time in college. Yeah.
2: I feel like the computer science curriculum was definitely like very theoretical and I definitely don't apply it in my day to day as much as I
0: wish i could he, he described it to me as like the engineer is the person who like designs a car hood and mm-hmm. the programmer is the person who stamps the metal yeah which makes a lot of sense i think
2: mm. and i think at the end of the day i feel like i would love to see more fluidity there where it's possible to kind of you know in practice like design like what the solution should be and how it should mm-hmm. work but also kind of do the execution work of actually making it kind of come to life Is that something that you've pursued at Dropbox? I can't say I've really pursued it. Um, I think when I was looking for a job, I thought I wanted something that was like hybrid. And as I started talking to places that kind of had those sorts of roles, and there aren't that many, um, I kind of got the strong feeling that the thing that I really wanted was to like push my actual like design execution skills. And so at the time, like... I wanted to go to a place that had really strong interaction visual designers and Dropbox was a great fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could just pursue that for quite a bit of time. Like I'll definitely, like there definitely been times where there's like something that I wanted to fix that I might hop in and like tweak something. Um, but those are relatively rare. Like uh, most of my design work is not something that I'm going to go off and implement myself. Yeah, um, I think there are definitely like little side projects that might happen.
1: But um as like an outlet, but yeah. So I was reading your blog. Oh boy. And <laughs> <laughs> your side project crazy. You've done so many side projects. I think I've cooled it a little bit. Yeah, this well, was like back in twenty fourteen, right? If you yeah.
0: watch his Instagram stories, you can see that he's spending all of his time cooking. There's no time <laughs> for anything else. Yeah, it's all cooking now. <laughs> yeah. Or or watching Kevin.
2: Who's my boyfriend? Cook uh-huh. and I'm just recording him. But,
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, tell me more about side projects. So this would have been a few years ago. Yeah. But I'm scrolling through your blog, like, oh my god, you've done a lot of stuff. Hmm. Yeah.
2: I think so. I think in college, when again, very theoretical, um, I wanted kind of an outlet. I, I wanted to like apply what I was learning in some form. Um, and so, for example, if I was like taking like. A natural language processing class. We would be focused on um, kind of the fundamentals. But then I would want to kind of take what I was learning and see if there was kind of some user facing thing that I could build with that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm like definitely not the best programmer by any means. It's like kind of like dangerously enough. And so I would kind of go off late at night and kind of try to cobble together something that could like kind of demo something interesting using whatever I was learning. Um, What are some
1: examples? So, I like your favorite ones.
2: Yeah. I think there was this brief theme where I was really fascinated by attention and like, can a system. I was hoping that would be (laughs) the one you'd talk about. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, especially like, I remember when Facebook was kind of gaining a lot of steam, I had this like kind of curiosity about like, can a system be aware of your attention and kind of be respectful of that attention? And so, like, actually, I remember in paper, like, playing around with demos of, like, you know, maybe, like, while you're typing, like, we should actually pause all your notifications and, like, wait for you to complete your thought before we actually hit the bell. Mm -hmm. Because that probably, that five, ten second difference probably doesn't actually make a huge impact um, on, like, your needs. But it makes a nice impact on, like, your ability to complete your thought. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, similarly, I was, like, looking at like, oh, like, maybe... I mean, you've played with, like, echoes, right? And so, uh-huh. like, maybe as opposed to having, like, a keyword to say, like, you know, Alexa, like, do this. I, I probably just triggered a bunch of Alexa well, you're, somewhere. Well, you going to trigger mine, so... <laughs> Alexa! <laughs> yeah. But, like, as opposed to kind of engaging it that way, like, maybe... I could just like look at the device and it would be aware that I was looking at it and be able to interact with me that way. So that's your
0: facial recognition, right?
2: Exactly. So I should be able to like look at my computer and say, like, hey, what time is it? And okay. it should know that I am addressing the computer. Um and also like are there ways to do it passively? So like maybe I have a recording device right now. I promise I
0: don't. But like maybe, <laughs> well, maybe we do. this is copyright. <laughs> well, let me let me disclose this. We we have a recording device right now. Yeah, that's true. Sorry. Are you sure? Well, you know,
1: (laughs) big surprise. We needed you
2: to sign the form, (laughs) but like maybe I could put, you know, imagine this was like a meeting and maybe I could put a device like on the table, um, that would record everything we were saying and maybe it could pick up on important sentences or things we said we would do next and kind of, um, capture those automatically. Mm -hmm. And so if I said, Hey, like, do you want to get coffee um, tomorrow? Maybe it could automatically capture that and like give myself a reminder to do that. Um, but there are other kind of forms of that. So, like, if you kind of have a general idea of, like, like imagine like a com- computer had like a um, a number that it could generate, like a confidence around um, how much how, how much co- um, you're fo- kind of focused on the device at that point, point. Um, and like then you could kind of abstractly talk about like how should the computer interact with you based on your, the attention you're giving it, and so one input for confidence around your attention is, you know, your gaze. Are you looking at it? But there's other other things, like, for a mobile device, we can use, like, maybe, like, the gyroscope. Like, are you kind of holding it? Are you touching the screen? Are you scrolling around somewhere to the kind of gauge, like, are you paying attention to this or, or not? And so, like, one really, like, horrible demo was, like, um, maybe, like, if I'm, like, reading something on an iPad, like, I should be able to, like, set it down and, like, have the device, like, be aware that I've stopped reading it and, like, try to, like, pick up and, like, start, you know, reading whatever I was reading like out loud, and so I can walk away and like keep hearing like what that article going on, <laughs> and then come back to it and have it kind of scroll to the right position, yeah, and let me pick back up.
0: Again, mm-hmm. horrible demos,
1: mm-hmm. but I don't know if I'm becoming already like an old crotchety person.
0: Mm-hmm. You are the oldest crotchiest
1: person I know. Some of those things, like I understand why they're inherently interesting. Mm-hmm. Like it's an interesting problem to try and think about but I get scared thinking of computers that know where I'm looking all the time or passive listeners that are trying to understand my intent. Yeah. How did you think about that kind of stuff? Or did you go that deep on like, what are the implications of this in the wrong hands or this implemented by a government or something like that?
2: Yeah. So the ethical side is something that I totally have did not push on. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that I'm, realizing in like my own work right now is that there is this like approach this like kind of human centered like need or problem driven approach um, which is like much more methodical um, but there are other ways to kind of explore and like uh, try things and one of those is kind of learning by making and tinkering um, and I haven't I don't really have like formalized thoughts here, but I think there is value in like playing with things and seeing what is possible and then kind of from there exploring like implications. Yeah. Um, I definitely didn't do that on my own. What are your I unformalized? That, that comes down to like
0: could versus should, right? Like I can do this. Now, should I? And like, how should I approach it? If yes, like.
1: Well, let's get unformalized thoughts because I think this is an interesting thing as we talk about product design, especially at big companies like Dropbox. Like we can do almost anything. We can do whatever we want, But should we? And do we really understand the long-term repercussions of such a thing? Like, do we really understand the long-term repercussions of every single human having a camera and microphone that can be remotely activated in their pocket? Like yeah. Do we really understand?
2: Yeah. I feel like right now, at least at Dropbox, I'm hoping that I can find like time to work on kind of longer-term things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Maybe not specifically around recording devices, but you know, like there, there is this like. Aspect. <laughs> How do we get a Dropbox voice
1: recorder in everyone's pocket? <laughs> <laughs> we've never just we well, never considered that.
0: <laughs> Wink. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. He's winking so aggressively. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, but I think there, there's like value in kind of short term like execution work of like this is a, a problem that we know we have and we want to address like over the next few months or the next few years. And then there's also this aspect of forming your understanding of, you know, what people need, what, what is possible, um, that right now it, is, it doesn't have a lot of structure around it. it and yeah. kind of happens mostly through people kind of working on something on the side or, like, through hack weeks and things like that. Like, I think of, um, for example, um, if, I don't know if you've heard of, like, Dropbox um, Infinite. I think it's called Smart Sync now. Uh-huh. Um, it's basically that, you know, you should be able to have files on your computer um, and access them, and, but they're not actually stored on your computer until mm-hmm. you double-click them. Um, stuff like that didn't come out of, like a decision that you know we need to figure this out. It came out of um, Ben Newhouse, who was an engineer, kind of experimenting during Hack Week and realizing that this was possible, and then circulating, it, like showing that to the whole company. Um, it was like a technical insight uh, that then led to a bunch of questions about, okay, how should this work, and uh, what are the right ways to control this. So, I, inception point is slightly different.
1: I see. So, if I understand correctly, you're saying. It's okay to try these experiments, like move really fast, try and execute on a bunch of different ideas, see where those ideas take you. And after you come across an interesting idea, then evaluate whether this is something that's a net benefit for the people who will use it. Like the long, longer term repercussions, the ethical repercussions, environmental, et cetera. Right. Yeah. But it's worthwhile to move fast and try lots and lots of things.
2: I guess I'm saying that that's one approach sure. that I, that can lead to interesting results. Like there are other approaches. Like you can start with the kind of like futurist, like speculative side, and say like, okay, in you know ten years, like what will X be like, and what what are the ethical repercussions there, and then work backwards from that. Um, that's another kind of approach that you can take. Sure. Um, but like neither of these things are things that I super commonly see. Um yeah. In the industry, yeah, this isn't your day to day. Definitely not the day to day
1: musings over coffee in the morning. Well,
2: I mean, so I, I, whenever I look at, for example, um, like interaction design portfolios, I think the like canonical example will be like um, a problem around like what what will cars be like, you know, ten years from now, and people will capture like all sorts of interesting trends around, you know, people moving to cities, you know, cars becoming autonomous, people sharing these like spaces. And come to a bunch of like interesting insights there, but it's like very difficult to like take those sorts of like visions of like the future and work backwards towards like a concrete product that you're going to ship over like the next few years. Uh-huh. But I don't think that means that there's anything invalid about that approach. I think it's an interesting approach. It's just not something that you see in industry super commonly.
1: Okay, tell me about more of your your side projects. So you were exploring intent and like, passive behaviors as we interact with computers. Yeah. Uh, What else did you get to work on?
2: Um, I mean, so I think right when, like, prototyping tools were, like, taking off, I was, like, also interested there. Yeah. Um, And so I was just, like, playing around with, like, can I make something that might have, like, a state machine that, like, you know, I can move my layers around and set them in a particular way and then save that state and then kind of thumb through a different set of states. Mm -hmm. Um, There were also, like, things that were, like, Purely for me, so I remember, like, writing this thing that, you know, just like it pulled some Facebook API and would just show me the articles um, and like yeah, put them yeah. through readability uh-huh. um, and not show me, you know, any of the ads or other people that were in any way
1: <laughs> Facebook <laughs> without the people and ads and, and ads. so <laughs> um, this is the best Facebook,
2: yeah. And so that was what did you find, yeah? And so that was like a really quick, quick thing that was just for me. Um, that I could kind of like play with and see if it was interesting or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. These were all while you
1: were at CMU.
2: Yeah, most of these were while I was at, at CMU. Um, I think, uh, I think like the, um, the, the amount of side projects that I was working on is like kind of inversely proportional to kind of how creatively satisfied I, like I am. Mm-hmm. And so, kind of um, when like curriculum is like very theoretical. Then, like, the amount of stuff I was, like, making, like, exploded. Um, and then as soon as I went to Dropbox and kind of had an outlet in in my work, like, a lot of those, like, side projects kind of dissipated. Uh-huh. I think there have been periods where, like, I'll, like, work on something, like, on the side, like, from here or there. Um, like, right now, I'm, I'm, like, playing around with kind of, like, whiteboarding and, like, two-dimensional, like, thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tell me more. Um, I mean, so it's been... Kind of in and out it's more just like kind of an outlet for me like not like a serious super serious effort by mm-hmm. any means um, one of the things that i've noticed is so like you know i use paper like throughout my day
1: dropbox uh, paper exactly not
2: physical paper I, well i use physical paper too but <laughs> i use dropbox paper quite a bit uh-huh. um, and that's just like one like text is one mode of thinking um, and it's really effective in a lot of situations but I've noticed myself doing more and more kind of spatial organization of my my thoughts, which might be, you know, it might be in the form of like a whiteboard or post-its and that sort of thing. And, you know, I've seen like a bunch of like different tools that you could use um, for that. But I've just been trying to explore, like, can you kind of create a collaborative environment that's like two dimensional for multiple people to kind of create a shared shared place to like think spatially. um, In software? In software. How far along are you? I have like a little, like, hacky demo. Yeah, yeah. There's not there's not much in it. It's just yeah, it's really rough. (laughs) Sure. Um, I think there's a bunch of questions that are coming out of it. Um, I think like the aspects that I'm really interested in are how designers work together with their teams, Mm -hmm. Um, and that's just like one one avenue. I think a challenge is like what is the point or like what is the point in time when you decide that you want to move your work out of something like Sketch or Figma. Into something that is more presentable. Um, so, like, there's like the class of, you know, like kind of crits where you might um, just pan around like your sketch file and do things that way. And then there's another where you might, you know, scroll through a paper document or you might put together a presentation. Um, and the question that I have right now is: Is there really room in between those two um, for something else that is like still spatial, but um, like one one degree separated from the tool that you're using to actually make? Um, your designs
1: i think i'm close to understanding what you're getting at i definitely understand this problem of you have this class of presentation where you're panning around sketch or figma and then this class of presentation that's like more polished and put together and is a linear narrative yeah so you're looking for something in between that is that a tool or is that just a mode of presentation or is it something the, entirely is different?
2: it a set of constraints Yeah. so right now i've been looking at it from the angle of a tool but you know, I'm not sure if that's the right right direction. Sure. I think right now I'm just mostly using it as, as a way to like play with different technologies yeah, and like yeah. kind of see like what's fun okay. and what I enjoy. What are you playing with right now? What? What are you playing with? Um well so right now it's just just really dumb like node and then I have a, like um the the actual prototype is like built with Framer, but I'm just like hooking things up so that um you know, you get some like real-time streaming yeah. um there, but
1: What was the role of those side projects back to the CMU time Mm -hmm. as you graduated and you're looking for jobs? What was the role of those side projects in helping you decide what you wanted to work on or even helping you get a job? Did you go to CS or HCI at CMU? Um, So the HCI program is
2: like... um, within the CS school and it's offered as like a minor or a ma- second major. Okay. Um, my major was computer science. And then I was like um, kind of dabbling with HCI curriculum. Okay. Um, I was actually just like also doing some like work with like a research lab there mm-hmm. um, and just like on top of curriculum, just like supporting um, this work in like classrooms, mm-hmm. which is really fun. But um, like back to your question yeah. about side projects, you know, aside from being like an outlet, I, I, well, I feel really lucky because right at that point, so this was 2013, 2014, um, the product design role, I feel like, was in a really good spot for me at that point where, so like, A, like iOS 7 had shipped like two years before. Mm -hmm. So like, I think the bar for like visual design, at least for for me, was like
1: greatly (laughs) lowered. (laughs) And so White with blue text.
2: Yeah. Cool. And so like the kind of- as someone who had, like, you know, no experience with visual design, I think it made it more realistic for me to be able to, like, contribute uh-huh. there. But also there was, I think, a kind of growing desire around more technical designers. And Dropbox was, you know, also a great place for that mm-hmm. um, at that point. And so I feel like if I had tried to look for the same job in 2010, I don't know if it would have existed. But right in 2014 was actually just the perfect timing for me in terms of the skill sets that I had. Um and also, like, what I was looking for. I think the side projects, I assume to some extent, got my name out there. I actually don't know how Dropbox found me. Like, uh-huh. I, have, like Soleil, like, my, my impression so far has been, um, at that point, Soleo like, tweeted at me. And, like, all of a sudden, like, six Dropbox designers, like, followed me, like, over the course of, like, a day. And, you know, I'm just, like, looking at this and just, you know, really questioning, like, what's going on here? <laughs> Um, and then you know, Soleo just like like mentions that oh like I'm flying to Carnegie Mellon and like do you want to get coffee? I was like oh uh, yeah you know absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> sure,
1: sounds great.
2: Yeah, and then from there it just moved super quickly. Hmm. Um, I think we only hired like two um, new grads at that point. So it was me and Sam Zhao, and he I think he had a pretty similar story of like Soleo like suddenly appeared on campus, um, <laughs> <laughs> just suddenly <laughs> Soleo. Well, <laughs> it was it, it was you know he's like. Definitely like an amazing recruiter, mm-hmm. like one man show, like, <laughs> <laughs> but I remember it was actually He's a charismatic individual. He's very charismatic. Uh-huh. Um, but I remember it was actually interesting the year after. So like when like Soleo, um kind of like started spending less time at Dropbox, it actually became really hard to hire to like look for university grads just because we didn't have, you know, a lot of organizational experience in doing it like the the history had been soleos like flying around the country um yeah. f- finding people which you know doesn't scale super well
1: um we need more so we need more so <laughs> so yeah one of the things that ends up coming up quite a bit not on the show uh, usually in the slack team or just in conversations with designers who are trying to break into the industry is like i've been at school i have a portfolio of school projects but how do i get this job And the answer or how do i get my first job or prove that i i can do this kind of work and a very common answer is like well side projects are a pretty good way to indicate that you are a go-getter like willing to solve projects on your own time like look to solve your own problems which is a nice leading indicator
0: so this is something i've been thinking about a lot lately is like what goes into a portfolio coming out of school side projects are such a no-brainer because your school projects are structured in a very school way and if you show that off it feels like you just this, yeah. is, this was a class thing.
2: I feel conflicted
0: there, though. Yeah? Because I feel like I was very lucky to have
2: both, like, the time and, like, confidence to, like, mm-hmm. explore those. And I definitely, especially with, like, like design, like, I think it's, mu- like, if you're a software engineer, it's v- more straightforward to, like, build your own thing. Mm-hmm. But as a designer, like, it's probably much harder to kind of make something, like, in isolation. Yeah. Um, and so actually, like, there are definitely people who will come with really great side projects that I get really excited about and I can see see myself in. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely people who have, like, totally kind of, um, like, a totally different set of experiences, whether it's, like, coming from, you know, proper design school or architecture or something mm-hmm. totally different, where I can see that they have, like, really great process and, like, they have, like, the fundamentals, right? And all the execution skills that, you know, and kind of like the things that you've been describing are things that I think oftentimes you can just pick up like on the job. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, you know, if, if we pair you with a designer who's like really good at all of that stuff, like you will learn very quickly Mm -hmm. um, and I have confidence there. And so it's really hard for me to just evaluate someone on side projects.
0: I I I, I agree with that for sure. Not solo, but as a data point, I don't need to see an affinity map in a portfolio though. Right. Like that doesn't tell me anything really. That tells me you went to school for design.
1: It was like, <laughs> who tweeted this? It's like, if I see another photo of a wall with sticky notes on it in a portfolio, uh, something, something expletive.
0: It's yeah. Like, I- I'd rather see that you picked a really interesting problem or like, we able to solve it in a unique way or even just like used standard things to build an easy way for someone to, to solve their own problem. Like mm-hmm. yeah. that, that seems great, but I don't need to see sticky notes
2: I think the tough part is that i do, I can't think of a lot of undergraduate programs that feed super directly into the product design role yeah like, like I think HCI is like a great example uh, and probably like the, the closest that I've seen there's mm-hmm. definitely like interaction design programs that like are pretty close, but if I look at like the Dropbox design team, like everyone comes from you know a super wide range of backgrounds mm-hmm. and I think that's actually. Like there's like there's definitely points where it's like super beneficial to have someone with a completely different background to like look at your problem and kind of poke holes in your approach um it's also like definitely sometimes like frustrating because you don't necessarily have a shared vocabulary right um right but i think that's just like one of the signs of like you know this industry is like f- it feels like pretty kind of young and mm-hmm. maybe th- quite immature.
0: It's been around in a variety of instances, but it's. I think it's growing very rapidly and so everything feels new all the time. Yeah. E- even if we can get jaded about it sometimes.
2: I think the worst part is when you see people in the industry noticing things that have kind of been known for like, you know, 10, 20, 30 years.
0: Um, Michaela's quick to point those
2: out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so like, often, and I feel like even like I don't have like a strong grasp of like, the history of this, mm-hmm. like, industry. Um, but, like, when you, like, learn about it, like, so, again, as a person who worked on a text editor for, like, a year and a half, <laughs> there is a very long history <laughs> of text editors and a long wide range of things uh-huh. um, that were never kind of put into, like, widely used products.
0: A lot of it's, like, tribal knowledge, right? Yeah. Like, you have to, like, be here or around these people, maybe even digitally, like, just to get a hold of that information. Yeah. So bizarre. And there are definitely teams that, like will be, like, inspired by
2: a lot of those, like, past visions and mm-hmm. kind of go down those routes. Um, but it's really difficult. It's, like, a really hard path to, like, go down. Um, like, starting from, like, you know, like, we've been talking about side projects, but, you know, they, they kind of feel like these kind of experimental um, ideas of, like, how the future could be. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually turning that into a product that, you know, a wide audience will enjoy and, like, understand is, like, incredibly difficult
1: totally different set of problems yeah. yeah yeah when you joined Dropbox what did you work on
2: yeah um, so when I joined Dropbox we were we don't do this anymore but we were doing this kind of rotation system mm-hmm. where you spent two weeks each on like three projects and use that as a means to like select a team um, so I worked on the Dropbox iOS app um, a little bit of work on carousel um, and then rip. Uh, yeah rip <laughs> and paper um, and I think off the three, like I was definitely like by far like most excited about paper, just because it was I think the earliest project there. Yeah, um, and because so, you tried to build a text editor before. Oh God, yeah.
1: So I <laughs> finally I can do it.
2: <laughs> so in college, um, my roommate Scott Martin and I, w- w- you know, a- absolutely hated the process of like taking lecture notes, um, especially again heavy math courses, lots of like LaTeX. Um, and there was like no really good way to do it, um, and so we ended up writing this like it was like heavily IA writer inspired thing that was just like a list of notes and like let me type in like Markdown and LaTeX and then like keep that. What's LaTeX? Oh, um, it's just like very old Markdown for like writing equations. Okay. And so like if if I want to do like a fraction, I might say like slash frac. Um, like parentheses one frac uh, or, or like 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 another parentheses. That over. sounds really. Fun. It's like super yeah. <laughs> but the thing, and I think when you first learn it, it's like horrifying and like super complicated. Yeah. Um. But then you know you spend you know three or four years doing all of your homework like here and like writing up proofs in LaTeX, and then you just it kind of becomes second nature, and you can comp- it becomes like way faster than oh, sometimes God. Oh, God. Um, anything else. Mm. Like even like with like writing, there's like a loss of precision. Um, with, like, subscripts and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so typing it up in this syntax is, like, very useful. Um, <laughs> yeah. It makes it, my head hurt enough, to even think about that. Paper actually does support LaTeX. Oh, really? And so if you hit... Is this because like, of you? No, no. This was another engineer.
1: <laughs> this uh, is my baby. I made it support LaTeX.
2: <laughs> well, so if you, yeah, if you type, um, I think, dollar-dollar, um, then it'll go into, like, a LaTeX mode, and you can type... <gasps> You know, you, you can type equations like until your ha- hands can't take it anymore.
0: Easter egg.
1: Yeah. Nice.
0: Talking to the Dropbox Paper team, like it seems like there's a lot of those little Easter eggs in there. They're Not like Easter eggs in the traditional sense, but there's like little hidden features that are like really Easter nice. Easter eggs
2: for nerds. Yeah. Well, like Paper came out of the Hackpad team, mm-hmm. and so w- one thing to keep in mind is like the Paper codebase has kind of gone through m- many, many startups like like before yeah. mm-hmm. dropbox and hackpad and so there's like almost like probably like 7 or 8 years of like history like in that code base even though like you know we've only been working on it for a few years yeah. mm-hmm. um and with that there's like a lot of like interesting <laughs> like things I- like in it that you'll only kind of discover like after working on it for a few months and so i remember like the f- the first uh, you know after like 6 months or a year of working on it one day i realized that if you type in like you know if you title it with, like, .c or, like, .py or .md, it, like, changes all of the type to this, like, monospace type. And what? I was like, oh, my God, like, wait, what? This was in this in here <laughs> this whole time? And, like, awesome. you know, some of the engineers on the team, like, knew. But,
0: you know, otherwise... Sneaky.
2: It was just, like, stuck in there, and you'll never notice.
0: Wow. I used Hackpad, huh. man, like, right when I first moved to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And then it's really fun to see the iterations after it was bought by Dropbox. And, like, I'd oh. see Linda, like post a, a mock-up or something like, um, and just seeing how it changed and how it is today comparatively, it's so interesting to me, like how that product developed over time. And it, Hackpad bought someone else? Um, so I think... Or did they start it? I can't remember. I think like
2: Etherpad came ah, from... Etherpad. And there, were, there, there was like a long chain of different companies and different teams that worked on that. Um, so actually, like if you talk to teams that are like working on text editors now... Um, like building a functional text editor that kind of does all the things that you might expect around like, you know, respecting the fact that I bolded this correctly. And if I hit, you know, like building a baseline text editor is actually pretty difficult. Uh There's just like a long tail of edge cases. Yeah, Um, so many. Very long tail. (laughs) Even something as simple as like just getting your keyboard shortcuts to do the thing that you expect is like tremendously like interesting.
0: I think (laughs) you run into that even more on web too. And like everyone's building them on web now. So you just have like this compounding like difficulty. Yeah. Which it gets really interesting. Like I know the Canvas guys have been pretty public about like talking about the difficulties of building it, which has been really interesting.
2: Yeah. I remember, um, I remember we were playing around with like some competitors and I remember one of the engineers on our team who works on kind of um, editor correctness like could instantly go into um, someone else's text editor and just like find particular case where they could break it um, and like you know suddenly things weren't like formatted correctly yeah, or, yeah. or the presentation completely broke other correctness is that like QA no, no no it's like it's like a proper like uh, it's like a full-time engineering job to like make huh. sure that things sync correctly and I, I remember like one particular bug was like around emoji and so like you know as oh, you emoji <laughs> well so like if you think of like Unicode right yeah. like it's it has a particular representation uh-huh. um, but as soon as you insert, there was this particular bug around like syncing like emojis correctly, um, and the problem was that emojis were represented with like basically like double the amount of space that um, any other character was represented by, um, and so like when you hit like backspace on an emoji, it would suddenly become this totally different character because it was just taking half of the information away, um, and so it's like this weird super, like super funny kind of bug. Uh that, those uh, are bugs
1: that I don't want to deal with, man. Yeah. <laughs> My God. So, Tom... I, I, there
0: has to be, like, some hilarious instances of this happening, right? Like, where someone, like, backspaced, and it went from being, like, a smiley face to just, like, a middle finger. Or something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> how dare you? So how did these, like, incredibly complex and nuanced edge case bugs, uh, and then from your side on the design side, like, how do those kinds of things how did they impact your work as you started uh, building out paper?
2: Um, I mean, so I largely wasn't kind of focused on like those sorts of like bugs, unless there was some sure, kind sure. of user facing decision that had to be made. Like usually like with correctness, um, like what's correct is pretty clear. Like if you hit backspace on an emoji, you don't want that to exist anymore. And so, <laughs> so like, you, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. there's usually no need for like a designer to get involved there. Um, I think the paper team kind of went through a bunch of different stages and evolved a lot kind of month to like over the time I was on that team. Like when I first joined the team, you know, I was working on like commenting and navigation, like kind of like the baselines, like sort of things. And this was like right when uh, paper had just kind of gone out to the office and we were just using it internally. And at this point, like, the feedback was, like, super, super positive internally. Um, And, you know, I think within, like, two or three weeks, like, most of the office was using it, like, almost daily. But it wasn't really until, like, six months in when we started kind of testing it externally that we started getting kind of, like, the real hard feedback. Um, And, and, like, a lot of these were things that we kind of knew, but we didn't realize how critical it was to solve some of these problems um, until, like, a few months in. So, like, things like just, like, a baseline need around, like, organization, right?
0: Mm -hmm. That that was my biggest gripe with Hackpad was, like, it was really hard to organize.
2: Yeah. And I think that's, like, a thing that I don't think actually anyone has solved Mm -hmm. super well. But um, the paper team is definitely, like, thinking about that and focusing on it. But, yeah, just how do you, like, and also some of these are problems that compound over time. So, like, unlike kind of, like, a usability problem that, you know, I can bring someone into a lab and, show them like a mock and kind of evaluate it um things like how a team has organized their content is like a compounding problem that you'll only really see the effects Uh of like six months in Uh Um, and so there's like a lot of things that you can do kind of at the early stage of like you know maybe i can kind of create a template structure for people so that they know generally how to organize things um but you know like as you go along it's really hard to kind of See what's working and what's not. Like Dropbox as an organization, like our folders are really intense. Yeah, um, and that's because we've had folders since they were like a really beta thing early on. And so initially, kind of when you wanted to like file a document, you know, you would hit this button and then it would ask you kind of what folder do you want to put it in. And by default, most people would create new ones. And so most people, they were s- suddenly like like an explosion of folders. Oh God. Um, and once that happens, it's really hard to go back and organize mm-hmm. them um, because you don't know kind of who owns them. Are these still relevant?
1: Yeah. I look at uh or like Quip, Hackpad, exactly. when you get to the point of thousands of documents spread across time, departments, people.
0: Well, it, it comes back to tribal knowledge. I think like you get these like kind of like one person knows who made this other folder and like that person has left the company and you have no <laughs> idea what happened there. And like, yeah. I think we've definitely
2: seen teams that have, like, interesting solutions there where, like, either a person will be responsible for, like, cleaning things up or, um, like, I remember one team that had, like, a script that would basically notify the creator of a document um, if it hadn't been touched in, like, six months and kind of ask them, like, is it still relevant? Like, do you want to, you know, archive this or do you want to, like, move it somewhere else mm-hmm. or update it? Um, and as a, as i mean to basically like keep your all of your documents like relatively fresh mm-hmm. um just because kind of like you're saying it's like super easy to build an enormous archive of yeah. knowledge over time um but it's unclear kind of like what's still relevant and what's not
1: when it comes to team process what do mm-hmm. you feel like are the biggest opportunities for designers and product teams mm-hmm. to be better at what we do i find this seems to be a thing that most teams think about and most teams are trying to work on and most companies want to be better because obviously efficiency saves money and increases the effectiveness of a team right so what are you finding in terms of how we can make our process better across the industry or uh, like- in your own experience like are there things that you have learned from paper or now that you're kind of doing this 50 50 split between different projects around improving our process and these kinds of things that you say you've uh, been thinking about.
2: I feel like at the end of the day, there's this like core aspect of kind of just trust across your team. So, like, I feel like the most positive experiences that I've had were where I was working with a PM that complemented me really well, and we had been working together for a long enough time and had gone through kind of you know um, problems together that mm-hmm. um, where we kind of knew how we should work with each other. Um, And I feel like getting to that point is like a really difficult process. And I don't know how to get there, like, like repeatedly, but I think there are like kind of different strategies that you can like take to kind of, um, kind of like solicit that sort of conversation, like from people. So like right now with a team that I was recently working on with the design research team, um, we were like really explicit upfront about kind of what we were looking for, like professionally out of like this project. Um, and kind of what we wanted our different roles and responsibilities to be. Um, and we also kind of documented kind of our own working styles and mm-hmm. our own communication styles mm-hmm. and like talked about that. Um, and that was like super interesting to me because I'd never kind of taken that approach before. Um, and so seeing someone explicitly call out that like they want to get better at X, Y, and Z meant that, you know, I can kind of step back and ensure that they're fully embracing like the kinds of work that
1: they want to do. Sure. Cool. What keeps you up at night? Oh, God.
2: Um, so I definitely, well, like right now, I'm really curious about the, the PM role and the design role. And I feel like when I talk to different designers and different PMs, everyone kind of has a different mm-hmm. line of like where these roles should lie. And I feel like a little bit in the back of my head of like over time that these two roles might converge in some form or another like a senior design lead to me, looks actually really similar to a PM. Mm-hmm. And also like some of the best PMs that I've worked with, like are basically designers. Like um, one, one PM that I worked with, Matt Blockshaw, was like given briefly in the design org. And he's like, you know, a great advocate for design, but he's primarily, right now his job title is to be um, a PM. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there's like some sort of like hybrid role there that might, might emerge. Um, around setting setting direction and kind of communicating work and planning how you'll kind of
1: tackle some huge problem. Totally. Charlie Dietz and Gabe Valdivia had a great breadtime episode about this. I don't know if you guys heard it. Um, I, I have not. I have not. Yeah. It's worth listening to. They talk literally about this exact problem of a good designer and a good PM, the skills and daily needs cross over so much that it becomes it can become quite challenging to work together unless you happen to like complement each other in the things that you know you're lacking and that kind of relationship can be hard to find or hard to build where a great PM and a great designer can work together like harmoniously instead of clashing because there is so much overlap. I
0: I think this is why like PMs and designers and engineers tend to be described as a triangle Mm is like, they kind of have to prop each other up in that way. And I think there's less overlap in engineering and like, I think there's a lot of overlap but I think there's less than with PMs. Mm -hmm. I think the same can be true of PMs and engineers. I think PMs are meant to be a filler role. Like they, they unify the team a little bit more. I feel like I think of
2: like the PM role as this like super fluid thing. Mm -hmm. And so it's as much of a, I I feel like the process of like pairing a PM with a team is this like super important thing where you have to like find a a team that will complement this PM style super well. And right now it seems like more like art to me than like a super methodical process. Mm -hmm. Mm. I couldn't replace like a PM with another PM
1: and expect to kind of have a similar output. So what does this mean for you? Do you want to be a PM? Or do you feel like as you evolve as a designer, you will naturally take over those responsibilities? Well, he's just (laughs) going to go back to calculator hacking.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it's really hard for me to look ahead like four or five years because Again, when I started at Dropbox, I think I joined right at a time when like, the product design role was kind of really crystallizing. Um, and if I had, again, five years before, prior to that, I don't think the role really existed. Maybe, sure. maybe it was exclusively at Facebook at that point. And so when I look five years out from now, I don't know what the product design role is going to look like. I hope it doesn't look exactly like it looks now. And I hope that means that the way these different groups work together kind of matures and Same. those relationships kind of get better defined I think there's this other aspect of I assume like the smaller your team or the earlier your team
1: the more fluidity mm-hmm.
2: there is like in, in, in that role
1: but you know we'll see couldn't agree more yeah we're out of time cool thanks so much coming on, on. Yeah, yeah thanks this Appreciate
2: was
0: great. It. that was episode 187 thank you to Ryan for coming and hanging out with us thank you to you for listening Thank you to Brian for, I don't know, sitting there.
1: We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter at Design Details FM. Let us know what you think. If you liked it, let us know. If you didn't like it, you can also let us know. Keep that to yourself. <laughs> no, you can let us know. Uh, we like hearing your feedback and advice, and we hope to keep making the show better for you.
0: When you say it like that, it's very non committal. But we probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> And with that, we'll see you next week.
1: Uh, That was good. Bye. Yeah.